Welcome to the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. My name is Kelsey Newsom. I work as a macro social worker in West Michigan. And I'm Bruce Vendrager. I work as Executive Director of Pastoral Services for an organization in West Michigan called Hope Network. Together, we are the hosts of the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bearing Hope, a collaborative group made up of the Christian Reformed Church in North America, the Reformed Church in America, Hope Network, Pine Rest Christian Mental Health Services, and the Mental Health Foundation of West Michigan, Be Nice. We believe, particularly now, it is vital to begin conversations about mental health and faith. Together, we will explore questions and topics about leadership while also maintaining mental health, leading others who are new to understanding mental health, parenting through mental health, and so much more. We are concerned about thoughtfulness around mental health as it relates to all aspects of life and faith. Welcome to the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. So today we are delighted to have with us as our guests, um, Reverend Andy Bassardi, um, Reverend Bassardi Andy, as we'll call him throughout the rest of this episode, is the pastor at First Reformed Church in Byron Center. He recently uh, joined that church about late 2020. Andy has experience with uh, serving in churches and is currently also pursuing a doctoral degree at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. We're glad to have you here today, Andy, and welcome. Also with us today, we have Father Ted. Father Ted is a parish priest and has been one for 27 years. Father Ted serves at um, St. Constantine and Helen Greek Orthodox Church in Pennsylvania. So we are also excited to have you with us today, Father Ted. Good to be here. Reading, Pennsylvania. There's more than one St. Constantine and Helen, so. <laughs> Good to know. All right. So the theme for our episode today, um, all of this is falling under the umbrella of faith and mental health. And kind of right now through the lens of the pandemic um, and all of just the heightened tension that we're experiencing in the world right now. And so specifically, we have invited multiple faith leaders, um, a pastor and a priest from different faith backgrounds, because we want to know what does it look like to turn to your faith in difficult times. Um, And we want to know what that looks like for each of you, because we expect that there will be some differences there and some similarities. So I think our first question is just what, what do conversations about big emotions and hard emotions look like within your faith tradition? That's a really helpful question and a great way to frame it. The role of big emotions in our faith. And so I, I hold two things in tension. One of them is that in the Reformed faith, we have this confession called the Belgic Confession. And the second article is that there's two, end of that confession says there's two ways we can know God. The first way is through scripture, and that's the, the primary way. But there's an, the other way we get to know God is through creation itself. And so um, from the very kind of beginning of the Reformed tradition, there's this sense that we can trust science as a reliable way to talk to us about reality. And so with that, that confession in mind, I frequently find myself turning to the sciences to help me understand emotions, the way they, the way they affect us, the way they, um, the way they drive us. I think particularly of big emotions. So among the other things you mentioned, I also am a person who lives with generalized anxiety disorder. And I was diagnosed with that about a year and a half ago. Um, and continue to seek all sorts of treatment for it. And part of what 
living with generalized anxiety disorder has taught me is how to trust science about emotions and things like that. So that's one hand. On the other hand, um, the, the reforms tradition as it finds itself in the United States and the reformed church, Christian reformed church, um, is also a very Dutch tradition. And there is a certain attitude toward emotion that comes to us from the Dutch. And that is um, often repression of emotion, that emotion itself is untrustworthy. Um, there's, you know, frequently in the reformed tradition, there's this like, don't trust your heart mentality. And of course, there's scripture you can point to that would indicate that um, our hearts alone are not our soul gauge of truth and wisdom. But that's been kind of that those verses get kind of blown up and they take up more space than they need to in the, in our anthropology and in the way we consider what it means to be human to the point where your feelings are considered to be inherently untrustworthy and therefore ought to be shoved down or whatever. And uh, the so-called Dutch front is a big part of West Michigan. West Michigan nice is a part of this tradition where um, just any emotion, particularly negative, but also joy in, in many cases is meant to be kind of hidden from the public. And so I see those two things at odds with each other, but also definitely at work in, in our tradition in my particular context. I think that's really a helpful framework that you've outlined. And I, it reminds me of some of the conversations that I've done in my own work about my own emotions, where when we talk about big emotions, you know, you've got like grief and sadness at one end, and then you have joy on the other. And I, for so long, spent time trying to just hit neutral because the two extremes mm -hmm. scared me. And mm -hmm. I knew that the bad extreme felt really bad. And so going all the way to the other end felt impossible. And so I aimed for neutral. And so yeah. I think stepping back into a space where we acknowledge both ends of that is really helpful, but also mm -hmm. really difficult. Absolutely. Like Brene Brown says, right? We can't selectively numb. Right. If I can enter into the conversation here a bit, you know, first of all, Orthodox Christianity has a 2000 year history. You know, we trace ourselves back to the time of the apostles and a kind of an unbroken continuity of faith and practice. So long before, you know, the, the modern understanding of psychology, psychiatry, psychology, and, you know, mental health with therapy, it was, it was very much practicing the faith that was the means that persons um, understood themselves, understood their emotions, and, and expressed their emotions. In some ways, I can even say that uh, Orthodox Christianity uh, itself presents a therapy, you know, that just practicing the faith is the means that one brings, uh, we bring ourselves more fully into the awareness of God's presence. And in doing that, we're able to understand more fully what's just happening inside of us, entering into the heart. So Orthodox Christianity presents a tremendous amount of direction and guidance and experience into the inner life and exploring uh, going within and understanding what's happening within our hearts. When it comes to emotions particularly, we would say they're important. They're, well, you might think of them as a kind of a barometer, but you certainly don't let your emotions steer the, the, the way in which you, you live your life. You acknowledge them, you, you appreciate them. Um, our, our goal isn't necessarily uh, an emotional thing. So the spiritual life involves emotions, but ultimately, it more importantly, involves the, the choices that we make. It involves um, you know, ultimately practicing as fully as we can what we understand is God's will.
And so when we come to times like in which we in which we live, first of all, there, there's a sense that, all right, there's a reason and a purpose for this as well. That, you know, all things work for good for those who love God, those who believe in him. And, and that you know, our loving God is still in control of everything that's happening. So there's a reason and a purpose for why we're going through this. And, and that has to do with our salvation. That has to do with our, our growing and our, our understanding of who we are, even as persons. And so the challenge of these times is to, to continue to hold on to our faith and maybe hold on more closely, to cling to it more fully, to practice the faith more fully. And in that process, we remain resilient. We, we, if, and if anything, we grow. Um, and so just one last thing that I might say. So instead of being concerned mostly about happiness, you know, um, the, the focus may be and, and should be, or which we, we try to have it more on meaning and purpose. What is the meaning and the purpose? And when we pursue that, ultimately, then um, we find more of the high emotions, the, the good emotions that come into our life, no matter what our circumstances. That, that last point is a really good one, Father Ted. That, And we find that so frequently with emotion, right? If you chase a particular emotion, it that alone becomes kind of almost like a, a drug-seeking behavior. Um, seeking a particular thing, and it's it's often fleeting. It doesn't often work, and so much of the reformed spirituality is built around gratitude. And so, whereas you talked about finding meaning and purpose, similarly in the reformed tradition, we we seek we often find ourselves seeking gratitude for that which God has done for us, the glimpses of grace in our ordinary lives, and even when I pray with my son at night, we often go through our thank yous. Right. What do you want to say thank you right. for today? And that yeah. that. Focusing on gratitude doesn't eliminate the bad stuff of life, but having a focus on gratitude both kind of orients our ethics, but it also, um, I think, gives us, before there was language for it, uh, gives us certain access to emotion, a wider range of emotion. So early on in this pandemic, cut off from, uh, to a certain degree, from the normal means of being able to communicate and pastor our flocks. You know, we, we were forced uh, as clergy to to find and, and utilize more fully the uh, other means and electronic means that we can. And I started um, writing messages of hope to my community, you know, emails that we had to put together a better master list of everybody in the parish and, and start sending them off right away. And I, I found myself coming back and again and again to um, encouraging them to, to find the ways to be thankful. And, and even now, as this lingers on, our, our, our book study that we're, we happen to do right now is Gratitude in Life's Trenches. Wonderful mm-hmm. book, by the way, by Robin Phillips. I highly recommend it. And uh, it, yeah, it's, this is, it has so much more. And, and even as Thanksgiving is not, a grat- and not an attitude. Gratitude, not as an attitude, but as a practice. Mm-hmm. It's something that we have to work at. So Father Ted, you uh, mentioned... <laughs> certain practices um, that go back thousands of years. Um, and, you know, one of the practices for, for many Christians is just the practice of going to worship on a weekly basis. And um, depending on which state you've been in, um, you've either been allowed to do that um, or allowed to do it in moderation or not at all, um, as right. has been the case in Michigan for most of 2020. 
but there's also probably other by spiritual practices. Do you mean also certain like spiritual disciplines that a person can practice either individually or maybe in a familial setting, uh, communal setting? And if so, what, what are some of those, um, you know, disciplines right. or practices within your tradition? There's, there's always the balance, we might say, right, or the, the complementary nature of praying within our closet, you know, the, our time alone with God, uh, which in Orthodox tradition we often refer to as the rule of prayer. And rule is not so much understood as, you know, you have to do this or else, as the word in Greek, kanona really means more like ruler, like setting a certain amount of time, uh, a, a, a sufficient amount of time each day to be alone, you know, be still and know that I am God, he tells us so, um, to be alone with him. And that complements your corporate experience of, of God in, in worship, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So um, in a way, when, when the corporate experience of worship was, was being curtailed and, and people weren't able to come together as much, we did everything we could to stream the services and to try to allow them to still have that corporate experience. But we also encouraged very much uh, them to see this as, as an opportunity to go into the desert a little bit more, to, to utilize so spiritual reading, to utilize the, the there's, there's such a plethora of, of um, tools in, in, in terms of personal um, prayer that exists for us as Orthodox Christians that we can draw upon. The practice of the Jesus prayer is one of the most profound ones, uh, which um, it gave us, in a sense, the opportunity to speak about that more. What's the Jesus prayer? It's, it's simply, um, it's, it's uh, a single thought prayer where we, we focus on one word. And in this case, it's the name of Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. And our need of his mercy, have mercy on me, the sinner. So it's, it's very scriptural. But this is developed within Orthodox monastic and ascetical tradition to be um, a practice of how, how one can keep that oneself in God's presence at all times. And so unceasing prayer of striving to cultivate uh, without, without stopping the, the awareness of God by repeating his name. And this is, this is something that we, in a sense, you know, had a, had a chance to focus on a little bit more during this time. Andy, any, um, anything from your particular tradition in terms of practices or disciplines that you've been encouraging your congregation to pick up or to practice more fully? Yeah, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, I was working with the denominational office, not with a particular congregation. But at the same time I was doing, doing that work, I was also pursuing my doctorate, which is in Christian spirituality at Pittsburgh Seminary, um, a reformed theological seminary within the Presbyterian tradition. And um, almost immediately we started doing, I was working with a local congregation on doing contemplative practice. And so we would Facebook live um, the, the guidance and then encourage, you know, folks to participate. And on a weekly basis, we would have, you know, a bunch of people from that church just kind of log in and uh, watch the, watch the video, but more, more participate in practices of silence and stillness, which um, I think, you know, our, our whole, 
you know, emotional system was engaged and online all the time. And even the chance to kind of turn off some of our senses, close our eyes, put ourselves into a quiet space, um, be aware of our bodies as they are, um, became, allowed us to get kind of in touch with all the places where our nervous system was just on and going. My particular focus in my program is on trauma and spirituality. And I just began with the premise that we are going through, at the very minimum, a lowercase t traumatic experience of nervous system overwhelm without a defined endpoint, which we're still living in. There's no defined endpoint for when this experience will be over. And I just kind of begin with that assumption. And so getting in touch with the body, getting in touch with our nervous system and the way it's been overwhelmed and just frazzled, um, it's just been one way of engaging with people and, at an individual level in ways that they can practice their spirituality. In the Reformed tradition, we're often looking at, you know, scripture and prayer are the two big, big ones. And so in prayer, I have been encouraging people more and more to express all of it, you know, to put all of it on the table. Um, not just kind of praying for others, but also that sense of just like, putting all of who I am on the table before all of who we know God to be. And then scripture just gives us so much access to emotions, even when we don't know what we're feeling. Um, the, the, the Bible is a pretty profoundly emotional book and particularly the Psalms. Many of the stories of Jesus are profoundly emotional. And so helping people access those emotions, even when they don't know how to articulate them or even know how to feel them, suddenly be feeling like you're surrounded on all sides, like King David, makes a lot more sense. If I could add uh, just a little bit more to this particular um, uh, theme within our, our discussion. So uh, for us as Orthodox Christians, the, the, the worship experience is, is a very important one within our entire living of our life in Christ. And we're in church a, a great deal, and, and our services tend to tend to take a fairly long period of time. And they're also very sensory. They involve all of the senses. So you have the iconography of the incense, you have the vestments, you have the, the chanting. Um, and in, in some sense, it's our Orthodox and Eastern Christian worship tries to not, not focus so much on, on just emotions or feeling certain things, but rather of just being in God's presence, standing vigilant. There's a kind of sobriety about our worship, you know, to, to, to being alert, watchful, the, the ideal of, of this watchfulness and mindfulness. So when we couldn't come together, we, we encouraged people in a sense to take some of these practices more fully into their homes. And we even had one of, one of our studies, Zoom remote studies was on the katikon ecclesia. It's one of the words in scripture that the home church, you know, the early Christians often mm -hmm. worshiped within, within people's homes. And, and um, so we talked about all the ways in which you can take these practices that we do when we're together and just you use them more within your home, people sensing within their homes, lighting candles within their homes, um, uh, creating um, sacred space if they hadn't, you know, within their homes to be in God's presence. And, um, and certainly, you know, increasing the spiritual reading, as, as uh, uh, Andy was saying before, you know, of scripture, uh, Psalms, writings of the, the lives of the saints, writings of the fathers of the church to, to continue to be aware and, and focused on, on the Lord and his will for us in, in these times.
we also tried to encourage people reaching out more to each other, you know, than, than in the past, in, in the ways that they could, since they couldn't be in, in person. So this conversation about um, the different disciplines and the different specific acts, things that we can do, it reminds me of the role and the importance of ritual or routine in mental health care. So when someone is acutely struggling, one of the first things we talk about is what's your daily routine. And so there are also gratitude practices in mental health care. We talk about breathing exercises, um, naming your emotions. And I'm hearing similarities in the different practices, but I think framing them as spiritual practices might give them more weight for people. And just the the inherent belief that's behind the ritual or the routine, I suspect would add an, an additional healing layer there. Right. If somebody hears light incense, they might think right away, well, that's not Christian, is it? Mm. You know, <laughs> if in, in, in many traditions and and yet for the, for the Eastern Orthodox Christian, um, you know, hours after you may have sensed your home, you know, and it, there's an association with the smell, with prayer, with, with your experience of God. So um, it, is, it is something that we encourage people to do anyways, but, but especially in, in these times. But it needs that additional connection, you know, that they may be receiving through, through their you know, formation within our tradition. I think there is a richness uh, to various traditions that um, I, you know, we we can learn so much from each other um, and appreciate and even try to incorporate um, into our our spiritual practices um, and um, into our overall mental health in in different times to try something maybe from a different tradition, such as what you just said, Father Ted, um, and to recognize how just the, the power of scent and smell and the, you know, in presence, like I wouldn't think that, um, necessarily in my home, but to, to do that and to acknowledge, um, you know, the richness of of such a tradition. He entered into the world to sanctify you know the the entire world and mm-hmm. and uh, and transform so so the material world around us becomes a means of communion with God more fully again understanding of God the use of holy water you know is is a profound thing within um, and a common thing within within the Orthodox tradition as well um, you know right from baptism so there's always this physical element. Uh, you can see within within our sacramental or, or the the um, liturgical life and, and the means in which we experience and know God, and and that can can be translated into whatever other experiences that we may have. So one of the speakers that we had in our series um, spoke about just how much care we take into approaching and preparing ourselves to receive the body and blood of Christ which for us as Orthodox Christians is kind of the ultimate, an ultimate and fundamental thing that we do to know Christ, experience him and his, and his presence and his love for us, his mercy. Um, so she compared it to when we, how to better consider how we prepare our meals at home. 
mm. you know, and the setting of the the setting of the table and the the manner, the care that's given into the food that's prepared, the appreciation for the food, the thanks to God, but also the appreciation for it as a communal experience. So as we think about the people who might be listening to our podcast, um, our intended audience is pastors, faith leaders, clergy, um, people, maybe even on a volunteer basis who are serving God and serving others and acknowledging that things are hard, especially right now. People struggle every day, but things feel acutely difficult in the past 11 months. Are there any parting words that you have for either faith leaders or people who are you know, the receivers of that kind of support? For me, I would say the, the call from the Reformed tradition that we have the great cloud of witnesses. And part of the great cloud of witnesses is that, for all, that all of us need all of us. And so I'm a pastor with clergy friends and people who pastor me. I also have a spiritual director. I also have a therapist. I also have, you know, friends in and outside of the church. I have just a, a, as robust a support network as I can. And part of our tradition is so easy to individualize, but it's also incredibly communal. And one of the gifts of going through this time, unexpected gifts, is just the reminder of how all of us need all of us. And so if you're listening to this, you know, there are certainly things you can do. You can, you can look at gratitude. You can, you can do these kinds of individual practices. You can engage spiritual reading. You can pray. You can, there's a lot you can do on your own. And it's always a good thing to rely on the cloud of witnesses, to rely on the greater community of support. And I don't know what I would do without the cloud around me. I would have used a little different words, but Andy, I, you know, so much of what you just said, uh, I, you know, we would we would say as well that we're not alone. We, we're never alone. We understand that God is always with us. It's just affirming that, finding the the ways to continue to um, live in in His presence and to to um, connect with others and connect with Him that that speaks to our heart. It continues to. Um, sustain us through during this period. I think that's it as well. That we trust, we trust, we can trust in God's love for us, and to do what we can to um, not only connect with Him, but to continue to connect with the, with each other um, in the ways that we have uh, available to us in the, in the manner that we have. I think. Um, I think we're we're going to get through this because this is not the, the end. You know, we know that, and there are things worse than death. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're no matter what we may be facing, um, uh, we know someone already is victorious for us. Mm-hmm. Someone has provided us. Mm-hmm. Amen. You know, the the hope to look ahead and the life the life to come that we can have foretastes of here and now mm-hmm. through living our faith. Well, thank you both. We appreciate your extended time that you have given us and um, for your wonderful answers and insights. 